This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest philosophers to your fingertips. With more than 500 audio and video series on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more, The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming at thegreatcourses.com or on DVD and CD or via The Great Courses apps. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Secret Life of Words, English Words and Their Origins. For this limited time, 80% off offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, the new Iran deal has been announced. What are the details we should immediately focus on? Uh, it's a worse deal than even I expected. Uh, it leaves the nuclear infrastructure in place. The inspection regime is not what they said it would be. It's not inspectors having the right to go anywhere at any time. I think almost most importantly, though, uh, you could quarrel about the nuclear details. Maybe we weren't going to get rid of their whole nuclear program anyway. Maybe it doesn't uh, put them any closer to breaking out. The most amazing part of the deal is the $140 billion for Iran, for this regime, combined with uh, a removal over time of the arms embargo on Iran and the removal of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards and Qasem Soleimani, their leader, from the sanctions list. You put all that together, we're not just... Uh, accommodating Iran. We're not just grudgingly recognizing reality. We're strengthening this regime and strengthening the worst parts of this regime. Well, let's uh, talk about some of the specific things you mentioned. Okay, the uh, I was we were told that there would be anywhere, anytime inspections because the Iranians have already been caught repeatedly hiding uh, their uh, nuclear program, you know, burying it literally under mountains. And we're not going to get that. No, we're going to work with the Iranians on, on getting inspectors into key places, apparently. So there's not anywhere any time inspections. And, and, and what you say gets to another point. There's no acknowledgement of what they've done in the past. There's no coming clean. Every other deal of this kind begins with the nation coming clean about what they've done so the inspectors, so the international experts can get a sense of, okay, this is where things stand. We don't have that either. So we don't know what they've done in the past. We don't know what they're hiding today. And we don't have access to any place uh, at any time to make sure they're not cheating in the future. Uh, I'm also interested in this idea that if the inspectors say we need to go to a sensitive facility, the Iranians take that to basically a commission, a board, you know, whatever, and the arbitration. Doesn't that immediately build in the opportunity to move the stuff that the inspectors would want to see? Sure. And even so, honestly, it's a country, what, twice the size of Texas, the idea that a bunch of inspectors, no matter how good they are, you know, flying in from Norway or something, are going to be able to find stuff that the Iranians want to hide. is kind of ridiculous. And as you say, the key point, they have hidden stuff. They have cheated in the past. They have sponsored terror in the past. There's nothing in this deal that commits them to change in any way. There's nothing in this deal that, that, that in which they say they're going to even say they're going to change their ways, let alone being sure they really will. They don't even promise not to fund terror anymore. They don't even acknowledge that they've had an illicit nuclear program in the past. That's what's really so stunning about the deal to me. It's as if we were making some, you know, you and I were negotiating a contract, and it's a good faith, and we've both been pretty honest guys in the past. So we can, we can you know, afford a little roughness 
and fuzziness around the edges. Just, you know, basically you and I aren't going to get into some game where we're going to cheat each other. That's, but that's not the regime we're dealing with. That's what's so extraordinary about this deal. And the uh, the question of character, I mean, it was is what jumped out at me when I saw the deal posted on the web is the third item in it is that Iran commits today that they will not ever pursue nuclear weapons. Doesn't everybody reading that, signing that, know that that's a lie? We all know they're going to pursue them. The question is, is this the best way to try to hem them in? So we, we start with a falsehood, right? Right, and we sort of accept it, and, and uh, that also sends a horrible signal. I mean, imagine if you're sitting in elsewhere in the Middle East and you start reading the deal just like you did and I did, and, and you come across that and you think, really? I mean, it would be better not to have that at all. Let's just be hard-headed. Let's admit that they have a nuclear program. This is the best we can do to slow it down. That was always the kind of hard-headed, pragmatic, sober case for a deal like this. Even that case collapses when you're talking about uh, giving them access to $140 billion dollars uh, to, to sponsor terror in the region. But that was always the hard-headed case. But as you say, once you get into this kind of rhetoric, uh, it just makes us look pathetic. Um, then, of course, the argument from that the president made this morning is that we have tied Iran's hands for 15, 20, 25 years, depending on which element you're looking at it, and that this is the best deal you could get. What about the argument that Iran, once again, you and I just acknowledge, Iran is going to go after nuclear weapons no matter what, is this the best deal we could make of kind of throwing stuff in their way, you know, slowing them down? You know, it might have been an acceptable deal if the sanctions regime remained in place. I think the president also said this morning that the sanctions were robust and that they were working. What does the deal do? It gets rid of the sanctions. I mean, you just can't come back to that often enough. What is the one concrete thing that the deal does? All the nuclear stuff is in the future. Maybe it slows them down a little. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe the inspections do get into some sensitive sites. Maybe they don't. Uh, they don't dismantle much. They dismantle a little, but it's sitting around for them to, to undismantle uh, if they want to. They'll cheat. All that, though, is kind of speculative and kind of, you might say, on the margin, or, or it's not on the margin, but it's, 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 you know, it's not going to radically change the situation with respect to the Iranian nuclear program. The massive thing that is happening is $140 billion for this regime and for the worst elements of this regime. That's the actual thing that's going to happen in six or nine months. Everything else is talk. And people on the Hill, Democrats on the Hill who want to support this deal, have to explain why they're supporting giving $140 billion to a regime and to entities in that regime that have boasted about helping kill Americans, that have paid uh, allies in Iraq and Afghanistan to kill Americans, that that a regime that's recognized by the Obama State Department as the number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world. Uh, And it's interesting you mention the Democrats because there are some prominent Democrats talking Uh, One of the people, however, that hasn't had a lot to say is Hillary Clinton. Where do you think Hillary Clinton goes? And is this going to be a key issue in the 2016 race? You know, I think it could be a key issue in in the 2016 race. Conventional wisdom is foreign policy is never quite that important, and this is kind of complicated. But I've got to think this becomes, uh, as the Obama administration, the Obama White House has said, the capstone of his foreign policy. And if you like this deal, then you like Obama's understanding of America and the world. Uh, capitulating to our enemies, uh, erasing the past, uh, giving them money for the future, and crossing your fingers, I suppose, and hoping they they become nicer people and they don't lie and cheat as they have in the past. I think it's a very uh, easy way for Republicans to draw a line between the Democrats and themselves. I think Hillary Clinton will support 
this deal. She's on, I don't know what she really thinks. Who knows whether she really knows what she really thinks anymore. But having voted for the Iraq War, she can't afford to be at odds with the uh, dovish wing, the pacifist wing of the Democratic Party. And so she won't be, I think. So she will support the deal. I don't know that all Democrats in Congress will support the deal. It's a worse deal than they expected to be getting. Several of them, Chuck Schumer's on record saying we need to have any time, anywhere inspections. Several of them are on record saying the sanctions relief can't happen before Iran starts to prove that it's actually uh, coming through on the deal. And then they are going to get sanctions relief virtually at the beginning, and it's not going to be possible to snap it back, as they say. So I, I don't think it's out of the I think the odds are against defeating this deal on the Hill, but I don't think it's out of the question. And I think Republicans just need to push the debate, have hearings, have a serious debate. The more people learn, I think the more uh, they'll realize how bad a deal it is. Force votes. Uh, maybe they won't get 67 votes in the Senate at first, but let pass the resolution of disapproval. Let the president veto it. Go to override. Try to override the president's veto. I just think the more attention, the more debate, the more votes uh, the Republicans, uh, uh, the Republican leadership uh, on the Hill insists on, uh, the better. I think they might. Maybe they should come back from recess early, or not go on recess quite as early as they planned. They don't need to take five weeks off in August. It'd be good to have more attention to this rather than less, and not for partisan reasons. Really, it'd be good for the country. I think. Uh, you know, so let me ask you a kind of maybe a conservative existential question here. At what I think we can agree, this is the high point of the Obama presidency. The last few weeks. He said victory after victory on really fundamental things that, are, that shift where America is, shift our, our security relationship with the world. Um, the, Amer- the American people seem to be say, saying in polls on Iran, we want a deal and we know they're going to cheat. In other words, fatalism, you know, just do something because negotiating is nice. But we also know that the world's a dangerous place and what can you do about it? Can the Republicans rise above that? Can they restore the notion that, no, 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 American action in the world can actually make things better, can prevent bad things from happen, happening? Yeah. Or have we lost that moment in, as part of our national character? And I think the same thing is true at home, too. You and I have discussed this. You know, can we get back to an actual constitution that the Supreme Court interprets? Or are we just going to have judicial supremacy for the foreseeable future, and maybe the best we can do is, you know, get sort of some judicial supremacy in our direction. I think that's one of the biggest challenges Republicans face, actually, not just Republicans, but conservatives, conservatives in government, conservatives outside government, is fighting the sense of fatalism. And it's not a ridiculous sense, obviously, that, you know, things have just gone so far that it's hard to even see how you uh, put it back together. How does America retain, regain its status in the world? How do we, uh, what do we now do about Iran? And either if Congress overrides the president's veto or January 17, if there's a Republican president, if they don't, what do you do about the Supreme Court? What do you, can you unravel uh, Obamacare and replace it with something much better? I think the answer is yes. I mean, intellectually, I think I can make arguments for how we recover. It's not going to be easy. But I agree that one of the things, ironically, I think one of the things that may hurt conservatives and Republicans the most is not, I don't think many of them have been persuaded that this is a good idea, but just the sense of fatalism. So it's kind of pointless to fight and maybe we'll just go live our lives and, you know, not really engage publicly. I think that's a big threat. I agree completely. And I think that's one of the key uh, uh, challenges for the Republican presidential nominee is turning around that sense. And if you can't turn around that sense, if you can't give people the reason to believe that their vote is a vote for serious, legitimate hope to change things, to undo some of the damage, to move forward, uh, it's going to be hard to motivate the base, even if you nominate Donald Trump, which I know is is your first idea, Bill. 
and it's not just the base, yeah, right. It's not just the base, but also just you know moderate voters who are kind of unhappy with it. But you know, if the Republicans don't really have a credible alternative, maybe it's better to let the Democrats kind of manage our decline than the Republicans. The Democrats are sort of nicer about managing that decline. Maybe they're better at it. You know, they'll cut these kinds of deals and maybe push things off a little bit abroad. They'll provide a few more benefits at home. It's really why the Republican Party in general, the conservative movement in general, but as you say, especially the Republican presidential candidate in 2016, has to be bold and serious and you know, has to have a big agenda and has to be credible in saying that I'm going to, coming to office with a big agenda to reverse this decline across the board. I think it's one of the reasons Trump has, has caught on, actually, that whatever his problems, he's not going to be the nominee and shouldn't be. But still, he does at least seem to sense the magnitude of the problem. He seems to, to call out the, the situation in, a, in an honest way and, and not sort of sound like some sort of slightly bureaucratic politician who wants to adjust things 10% in the other direction. That is, I couldn't agree more, that is really the challenge for the Republican presidential candidates and for the ultimate nominee. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time on this podcast. My pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.